very dramatic intro. Very dramatic. Folks, we are live in an effort to strengthen its relevance and consolidate its influence on global affairs. The United Nations has embarked on a transformative journey with the release of its groundbreaking initiative, Our Common Agenda. Part of this new agenda lays out new emergency powers the organization would have in case of a disruptive global event. Also, we're going to be taking a good look at the UN's upcoming Summit of the Future Conference in 2024. We're talking about this and more in episode 405 of the In the Tank podcast. All business over here. I'm not dancing in the background at all. Welcome to the In the Tank podcast. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall. Joining me, I've got Jim Lakely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? Uh, I'm doing just fine. I have some breaking news. Uh, A white powdery substance was discovered at uh, the Heartland Institute's headquarters. Uh, Heartland Secret Service is investigating, and we promise to get down to the bottom of it and find out who is responsible. But I am told there's been a leak in the investigation. I'm told it was just powdered sugar from uh, one of the desserts at our Heartland uh, barbecue last week for the 4th of July. So, oh, thank uh, God, you know, but, you know, I'll make sure to keep updated, you know, keep everybody yeah. because it's pretty serious. It's a white powdery substance shouldn't be just laying around important buildings, you know, <laughs> that's a good point. Hopefully everyone knows that you're making a joke at the expense of probably Hunter Biden and not thinking that there was actually white powdery substance found at Heartland's residence, but whatever. All the uh, also, all the uh, all the cocaine addicts always go with the powdered sugar excuse. Just want to point that that's out. That's good point. That's good point. That's what they always do. They always that's say good that. Point. But... Yeah, where did that come from? Yeah, who's yeah. who's confirming that? That shit? and the anthrax terrorists. Same thing. <laughs> Same problem. Uh, that person with the snarky remarks is none other than Justin Haskins, who is the director of the Socialism Research Center here at the Heartland Institute. Justin, how are you doing today, good sir? Doing well. Doing very well. I'm liking their beard. It's giving me some, uh, I, I feel, you know, it's got like a little bit of a Taliban vibe, but you know, all in all, it's, oh, no. I like it. Oh no, bringing up Taliban and anthrax already. This is going to be a spicy episode. <laughs> um, my hottest take for the episode is going to be that I liked Indiana Jones. Jim, you mentioned that we were going to go see it, uh, at, you know, at the end of last week and during the last episode and everyone's hating on it. All the reviews are coming out suggesting it's terrible. I liked it. So I, you know, I gave it probably not like the glowing review, you know, there's, there's some issues with it. I give it like a 7.9 out of 10. Jim's a little bit, uh, more dour. How on many it aliens were there? Zero aliens. How many ancient aliens? Okay. Well, that's good. That's yeah, a positive start. Spoiler alert. Zero aliens. No, so. Yeah. That's yeah. Come on, man. You gotta have a spoiler alert up for that stuff. You would think that after Indiana Jones saw aliens like a, a decade ago, he would like mention it at some point. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not mentioned. So. Right. Um, audio listeners, before we get into any of the topics that we want to discuss, I want to uh, mention that since you're probably listening to the show on a Friday or later, you can you can catch the show a day earlier on Thursdays at noon central time where we are live streaming it on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and Rumble. And you can join the conversation, throw your comments and questions in the chat. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. We also have that super chat functionality enabled in case you want to support the show that way and guarantee that you get a comment or question read on the air. Also, you could help us out. Uh, those audio only listeners could help us out by leaving a review for us on iTunes. It'd be greatly appreciated. Those that are watching the show can hit that subscribe button, share this content, uh, hit, just hit the thumbs up button or leave a comment under the video. All things that won't cost you a penny, only it cost you a couple of seconds, but helps break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people. Gentlemen, I think I've talked to both of you about this, so you probably don't have any interesting answers, but uh, you had a good 4th of July. <laughs> you celebrate Independence Day and any other and any uh, creative ways or anything like that. 
creative no. ways what does that mean i don't no. know maybe you blew something up i don't know no no <laughs> you, you blew up a dumpster no all, all, no. all, all 10 of my fingers are still attached so i wasn't Sweet. involved in that stuff no you know you know uh fourth of july is uh i i, I mean i like the fourth of july but i've had um i don't know i can't get i can't get over the hypocrisy i feel the same way when i go to sporting events and they play the national anthem and you get all these people and they're all, you know, excited for the national anthem and they're, st- and, you know, like half of them hate America. <laughs> and it's like, I just, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if Antifa people should be celebrating the 4th of July. Oh, I come on. You can is... say the same thing about like every holiday, like everyone that celebrates yeah. Christmas, you know, uh, are yeah, you upset exactly. that they're not going to church or something like that? I would make the same argument about Christmas. So I mean, you should you shouldn't celebrate holidays for the wrong reasons. That would be my that would be generally my attitude. And I think in America, for the most part, we celebrate holidays almost always for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, regardless, there are there are some exceptions. I think Thanksgiving is an exception generally. I think that's probably an exception. And Fourth of July is actually sort of an exception. But again. Like half the people celebrating hate America. So I have a problem. I have a little bit of a problem. So I've gone through a little bit of an evolution uh, when it comes to Independence Day. Um, you know, it, uh, I was a big fireworks guy, big proponent of fireworks. We had uh, back in the day when I was very stupid, right. we would have like a room full of fireworks that we just amassed right. over the you know months leading up to it. And we would just blow them up and everything. It would be fantastic. Thankfully, I still have all 10 of my fingers as well. But then, uh, you know, as I like grew up and, and uh, I had like a dog that was afraid of fireworks. And now I have two kids that need to go to sleep just when people start lighting off fireworks. I've grown to resent fireworks. <laughs> but then this year I was doing some research uh, about uh, the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And there was this quote that I came across from John Adams that was talking about, you know, the historic event of coming up with the Declaration of Independence. And he says, the second day of July 1776, which was actually the day that they voted on the Declaration of Independence, will be the most memorable in the history of America. It ought to be uh, solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward forevermore. And after reading that quote, I'm like, all right, I can't get mad at people lighting off fireworks. Like, you know, if if my kids are going to be woken up uh, every couple of minutes because of some explosion going on outside, it's just one weekend a year. I can get over it because the what it represents is... An incredible uh, moment in, a, in not just American history, but human history. So I will I'm forgiving of it. So I've come a full circle now. Well, if it's one thing you should remember about July 4th and you know, it's the you know, they they pledged their um, uh, their lives and their sacred honor uh, and their liberty. And if any of those men, the 53 men, I think, believe, I believe, uh, signed the Declaration of Independence. Uh, several of them were killed in the Revolutionary War. Several of them had family members killed in the Revolutionary War. Uh, quite a few had their um, property uh, destroyed, uh, either burned by the British or otherwise uh, destroyed. And so, you know, the one thing I think about is like, do we, do Americans today have the kind of courage that those um, privileged white men did back uh, almost 250 years ago? And that's the one thing that gets me wondering. And, and uh, you know, we, we had somebody, Donnie, we mentioned it in the show notes that somebody had written in that we're always too negative on this podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess I want to bring that up. I want to bring that up. So fulfilling keep going. that, uh, that blame right there, that, that comment from a listener. And I guess so just so did Justin in the beginning as well. But, you know, oh. it, it is, you know, the 4th of July, in, as I always like to say, Independence Day. 4th of July is just a date on the calendar. Independence Day is what we celebrate. And it really is still to this day uh, one of the most important movements, the most important movement for liberty in the history of humanity. Uh, it did literally change the world, and that world remains changed today. Right. Uh, the, it was completely revolutionary, to, to use the term, to even think this way, let alone rebel against the strongest military and economic power on the globe by miles and miles and miles that from anybody else. 
Uh, that took an enormous amount of courage and it took an enormous amount of conviction. And that is really what, you know, you should be thinking about on Independence Day, even if you might be a little negative about it, because, you know, as Justin said, a lot of the people uh, celebrating uh, Independence Day just think of it as July 4th and an excuse to cook up more hot dogs than usual and don't really respect the freedoms that we all still hold today because of what happened almost 250 years ago. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's I, I think I think Jim's exactly right. Um, it's not just the indifference, though. It's the people who actively hate America. <laughs> like those people, you know, like like uh, Representative Cory Bush, for example, um, <laughs> I saw this who tweet. says who wrote who wrote on Twitter, the Declaration of in on July 4th, the Declaration of Independence was written by enslavers and didn't recognize black people as human. Today is a great day to demand reparations now with a little uh, hand fist thing up in the air, you know, whatever. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, like, my question to you is, should Cory Bush be allowed to celebrate? fourth of july i look i i just i just don't think that people who hate america should celebrate fourth of july sure don't don't do it right don't do it i i don't under i don't understand it i mean you don't see me celebrating kwanzaa okay so i don't know why people who hate america should celebrate the fourth of july it just doesn't right. make any sense and right. yet or putting out hate millions tweets on, and millions on kwanzaa. of kwanzaa <laughs> yeah exactly like i just like fine if you want to celebrate kwanzaa that's fine it's not my holiday and that's that's fine you can celebrate it i don't care but it's like well, that's how these people should treat fourth of july if you don't really care about the declaration of independence or the constitution you think the founding fathers were all a bunch of racists what percentage of america thinks that a, a pretty percentage. high percentage right now yeah. and so you shouldn't be celebrating you should sure. not be celebrating that's not a holiday for you that's how i look at it so i there's there's one other topic that i want to get to before we get to our main topics and that is something that jim brought up last week we did an episode on blackrock and the sheer power and influence of blackrock we talked about esg and how firms like blackrock uh can use this scheme to control the economy etc uh, we also talked about comments from an employee of BlackRock talking about how easy it is to buy off politicians and how BlackRock likes to remain in the shadows, and you know, so that no one pays attention to what they do. And it was admittedly, it was some pretty bleak stuff. So bleak, in fact, that uh, we had Chris Talgo, the heart of the podcast, wondering if we were going to even be able to celebrate Independence Day a few years from now on the 250th year anniversary. Really and not. just as the podcast was wrapping, and this is the part that Jim mentioned, uh, we got a comment from a viewer saying that she had just recently subscribed to the channel, but that she was planning on unsubscribing due to the piling on of pessimism about the situation that we currently find ourselves in. So I want to address that a bit. And, and obviously, we do talk about some dark stuff on this podcast the uh, the the topics that we discuss on this podcast range from bad policy all the way through potential tyrannical takeovers of the world. So I understand how the topics could be a little overwhelming at times, but our intentions aren't to discourage people. That's kind of the main point that I want to that I want to put out there first. Our intentions are to shine a light on important issues that we believe either don't get the attention they deserve or discuss a topic from a perspective that's not getting the attention that it deserves. So, Justin, you were kind of responding to this comment after the show went off air. Uh, do you want to reiterate some of the points you were making while on air this week? No. <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what about about us being too negative? Yeah. Do you yeah, remember I, what you said? No, I don't remember what I said. You were making the point. I thought I thought this was this was just off the cuff. Apparently, uh, you were making the point that it's mm -hmm. that it's we are making progress uh, by talking about mm -hmm. these things because it it shows people the things that they have to be worried yes. about or, or something along those lines. I'm sure you could put it a little bit more eloquently than I can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I think one of the challenges. I know exactly what you're talking about now. Thank you for reminding me. The, the <laughs> one of the one of the challenges that. I think people have is there's this tendency to want to um, either just be completely and utterly depressed about the future of America. Okay. A lot of people on the right feel that way. Right. Or if you're on the far left, you know, I think some of those people are frustrated and angry that they haven't seen the, you know, communist uh, transformation that they've been hoping for happen yet. 
Um, but they know that they're at least moving in that direction. So they're at least pleased with the way things have been going. Uh, and then there's just a bunch of people in the middle who sort of feel like, well, can't we all just get along and pull together and work together and bipartisanship and all this stuff. And so I think that in all of these, there's this stream of dissatisfaction that exists, you know, but on the right, it's probably the worst. Like on the right is probably the worst. I, I actually got it. It's so funny. We, we're bringing this up again. Cause I got an email uh, a couple days ago from my uncle. It just out of nowhere sends me an email and it's basically like America's over. It's done. <laughs> you know, we could maybe slow things down, but you know, we're screwed. And uh, it's because the left took over the schools, indoctrinated all the kids. And now, you know, we fell asleep at the wheel and we're all totally screwed. And I'm like, I get it. Like, I understand that. That stream of thought is, is all throughout the right. But if people take a step back and they fairly look at the situation, I think what they, what they would find is that compared to where we were, say, 15 years ago, we know so much more than we ever did 15 years ago about the real way our country works, the, the effectiveness and, um, and trustworthiness of our institutions, the trustworthiness of the intelligence community, the FBI, and, and various other things like that. Uh, we know for sure that the, the, um, uh, the things we always suspected were true about a big chunk of the left is actually true that they would, that they would burn down cities to the ground if they could just to be King of the ashes. Like that's, that's a fact. Now we know that there's a huge chunk of people on the left that feel that way. Uh, we have, we have access to information unlike anything we've ever had with the internet, with uh, independent media. We don't have just a handful of, really powerful interests controlling the news, which was the case for basically all of American history, all of Western civilization up until the internet. Okay. That mm. was the way things worked. We have more indep independent media. Now we have more regular people um, giving their opinions, finding information, conducting research than we've ever had before. We, we actually, I think we had the illusion for a long time that things were more balanced and things were not as crazy as they actually were. I, I believe that what was at, what was really going on is the people in the institutions were just a lot better at masking what they were doing. And we didn't really know what was going on. And now we do. And there is a real benefit to knowing you can't, you can't fix a problem unless you know that it exists and you can't, you know, acceptance is the first road to recover is the first mark on the road to recovery, right? You have to accept that there's a problem. You have to know what the problem is. Sure. And we haven't had that until now. And so I think the fact that we're discovering all these terrible things is not a sign necessarily that we're in decline. It's a sign that we're realizing these problems existed and we right. didn't know that they existed. And, you know, yeah, you, you tore down the wall and you're seeing all the mold and right. uh, the, the well, paneling right. of and your of your house. Yeah, it, it would it rotting. would be like it would be like, you know, if you found a gas leak at your house that you didn't know about right before the house blows up. Sure. Now, you could look at that and say, well, God, now I've got gas leaks and now I got to have someone come and fix the gas leak. And yeah, that sucks. Like, I, I wish we didn't have the gas leak. Right. But the alternative is you don't find the gas leak and we all die. Well, it's also and that so that gas that leak has been is, leaking for a while. You just didn't know. So it's not like know. the situation's right. worse. It's just now you know the extent of the problem. Now Jim, you know exactly. Yeah. Jim, uh, feel free to, to comment on this. I feel like uh, Justin's going almost too far in the optimistic direction now. <laughs> do you need to reel them back or do you concur yeah well you know nobody should be able to to do better than me in the uh doom and gloom department although <laughs> justin's pretty close we're like the the ali and frazier of negativity on this podcast <laughs> swinging haymakers at each other and staggering in the, in the uh in the ring but uh look so actually what happened on uh july 4th was a federal judge in the western district of louisiana issued a ruling um uh, several republican attorneys general and some others um, had sued um, to stop big tech from collaborating with the deep state and with government agencies to suppress the speech of Americans online. And what did our legacy media, how did they frame that 
great story for freedom and freedom of speech, that this was a blow for the spread of disinformation and misinformation online. This was That was the, the framing at the New York Times. It was the framing in National Public Radio. And the reason we talk about the things that we talk about on this show, BlackRock and, then, and, and the, the climate cult and the World Economic Forum and all of these plans and schemes by the global elite to change society in a more socialist, less freedom direction is because you are not getting that information from anywhere in the mainstream legacy corporate media. And the, the bad news is, although everybody listening to the sounds of our voices today is very informed on what is actually going on in the world and how our governments and our society actually operates, the, I'm, I'm a, I am actually of the opinion that the majority of people have no idea any of these things are going on. Justin, these are people who do not know that there is a gas leak at all. They are not informed. They yep. don't understand the things that are happening, and they won't because they do. They they trust. They still trust outlets like NPR and the New York Times, who frame again just this one instance. And there are thousands of them every year, and hundreds of them every month of a victory for freedom. The idea it would have seemed insane 15 years ago, 20 years ago, for people to think that it's okay for the government to be telling. A, a private company to suppress the speech of people that were using their platform. Basically, if this was in the 1990s, it would be governments collaborating with the person who owns the soapbox that's in the middle of the, of the, of the square and kicking it out and dragging that person away and not allowing them to speak. That is considered completely un-American. But to vast, you know, to vast swaths of people in this country right now, they believe the framing that the real danger in, in society today, in, in the age of social media, is the spread of misinformation and disinformation. And, you know, the New York Times story, I saw this this morning, actually um, framed something that was true as something that was debunked, and that being that, that the COVID vaccines do not spread the transmission of COVID-19. That was something that was debunked, and that the judge was spreading these, these conspiracy theories in his decision. That is mind-blowingly insane. But vast swaths of people in this country actually believe that and believe yeah. that the things that we say on this, on this podcast, just allowing people to think and express themselves and to say what they think. It's okay to be wrong. This is all about exploring and trying to get to the truth. But the idea that in America today, that so many people believe that what we talk about on this podcast is misinformation and disinformation and actually dangerous to our democracy Makes me kind of negative about the whole thing. Yeah, I do have to apologize for saying Indiana Jones was good. I get the I get the hint. Now that's now that's disinformation. Now we (laughs) gotta stop that nonsense. The the thing the thing is like I'm not saying that I'm not saying that everybody is now all of a sudden aware of what's going on. What I'm saying is that if you go back 15 years, it was like three percent. Yes, and now it's and now it's like maybe. 35% 35% or 40. Sure. Like that's the, that's oh, we get the what difference. you're saying. We get what you're saying. Uh, so, so I, I, I mean, sometimes I can get really defeatist about stuff. Justin knows this probably better than anyone. Sometimes I see these obstacles in the way and I think, God, look at all this important stuff that's going on. And the only thing that the news can talk about is something not important. Last week we kept making fun of the submarine Titanic thing or whatever. Right. Cause that's all that the, the um, media was talking about. But, you know, I've been in this field long enough to know that things can change and that we can make a difference. So I just listed off a uh, just just for the sake of, you know, me actually having a list. I listed off a couple of things here. So Heartland's former president, Joe Bast, was in the Rose Garden of the White House as President Donald Trump ended the U.S.'s involvement in the Paris Agreement. A couple of years prior to that, if you were to suggest that that was going to be a possibility, even Joe Bass would have laughed at you. So the fact that that happened is a remarkable thing. The uh, World Economic Forum abandoned the term the Great Reset and issued an apology video about it in large part because of the work of Justin and I. <laughs> it's like a giant organization apologizing for using the terms the Great Reset. Larry Fink, this is one of the topics we talked about last week, the biggest advocate of ESG, is abandoning the term ESG because we have contributed to sullying the name so much that he considers it toxic or weaponized. And Justin basically single-handedly prevented that one crazy lady from being the 
secretary of currency or something what was that girl's name Amenrova or something like that like your Sorry, article literally like single-handedly stopped her and her like communist it viewpoints it helped i don't know about single-handedly dude but it you, definitely there was people that were writing some articles that were like you know taking jabs at some of her positions on stuff but you dug up some crazy stuff that no one else was talking about. So I'm going to give you the single handedly on that one. No assists. No assists. What are you're such a, you're a big hero, Justin. All right. right. So and like so like we're <laughs> we're small timers in the grand scheme of things, you know, and we can make a difference. So right. just have to know what's going on in order to align ourselves on a path where we can actually wield some change. So I apologize if time to time we come off as pessimistic at times. <laughs> That's why we try to throw in some jokes every once in a while. But, uh, you know, if we're still doing the show, that means that we haven't given up. <laughs> when this show yeah. goes off air, <laughs> we just like hike it up into the mountains. Then, you know, things are really getting pessimistic. <laughs> yeah. And that might happen. So we'll, we'll see. But um, I, I uh, just to bring us back down to earth a little bit. But I, I, I do uh, I, I do I do want to say this one thing, because I've actually I've brought this up in speeches before. And I've um, sometimes I get when we do speeches or when we do events or things like that. And I get people who come up to me after the fact or I do media and people come up and talk to me. Um, a lot of times, especially older people, very concerned about, you know, what's going on and they'll, and they'll talk about things in a very, in very defeatist terms. And one of the things that I, I, I came to this, I don't exactly remember where I first heard part of this, but as I really started looking into this a little bit more and thinking about it a little more, I really do think that there is a sense where this can be a little bit comforting. And that is if you were to transport yourself back to 19 like 49 okay back to that period of time which i think if you just asked your average conservative were things in 1949 better than today a lot of them would say yeah of course they were better than you know than than a lot of the stuff today that's going on right not in every way obviously but certainly in terms of the government and other things if you were to go back to 1949 you would be living in a world where a far left progressive president Franklin Roosevelt, a truly far left racist progressive president, Franklin Roosevelt, had won four elections in a row, presidential elections in a row, four presidential elections in a row. Walking away with it, too. He had completely transformed the Supreme Court, which when he came into office was conservative, basically, by our standards. It became far left by the time he was done. He created a massive number of new welfare state programs. He created uh, the, the, the Federal Reserve System and all of that emerged out of the Fed. Um, the progressive era was the period of time when we got we lost a, a huge chunk of power at the state level when we started direct electing senators rather than having mm. state legislatures make that decision. Um, and then Democrats won that controlled Congress, or at least the House of Representatives, and mostly Congress, for essentially 50 years after that period of time. So for five decades, <laughs> Democrats were in charge, basically, of this country, with the only exception being Republicans sometimes were president. It was like, if you were living in that period of time, there, you know, let's say 1970 or something, you would think... There's no way this country is ever going to turn around. Like, there's just no way. And then you get to Ronald Reagan, and he literally wins over so many people that he changes a gigantic chunk of the electorate and makes them reevaluate things that they had long just assumed. And from that point forward, conservatism, republicanism, all of that stuff became much, much more popular and successful than it had been for a half century, essentially. And so things can look like they are never going to turn around. We have no chance of winning, and they do. I mean, if you were in, sitting in Barack Obama's right after he won that second term, you would not necessarily assume that we would get Donald Trump four years after that. So... I mean, things the, can change very quickly, the, and I think it's night, important for people to keep that in mind. The night is always darkest before the dawn. It is. I know you were circling for that Batman quote. It is. But, uh, all right. Well, folks, uh, let me warn you ahead of time. 
the topics that we've chosen for today are even more dire and worrisome than last week's episode. So take that as a warning for the faint of heart. Uh, we, we tried to cheer you up for the first part of this pod, for sure. <laughs> yeah, just to set up, just to knock them down in the next half. So uh, our main topic is something that we briefly discussed at the end of an episode a few weeks back. But as we've looked further and further into it, we realized that this is a topic that needs more attention. So, Justin, you made it easy for me to include this as a topic this week because you recently had a piece published on The Federalist talking about it in an article titled The U.N. is Planning to Seize Global Emergency Powers with Biden's Support. So let's approach this one thing at a time. Let's save the with Biden's support thing for later. So why don't you just start off by telling us about the U.N.'s plan for seizing global emergency powers, or if you even want to go one step further back, we could just kind of talk about the uh, our common agenda plan, whichever whichever track you want to take. Yeah. First. So so to avoid getting into the details of our common agenda, uh, what what I'll do is just say that the, the the United Nations, this thing that we're going to be talking about here, the emergency platform from the United Nations, this was this is part. It's one part of a massive, much larger plan called our common agenda. And that emerged in 2021 uh, in the wake of the COVID stuff and the rise of the Great Reset and all of that. While that was going on, the Great Reset, COVID lockdowns and everything, the United Nations started putting together this idea for our common agenda, this massive, you know, like Agenda 21, Agenda 2030. It's like that, but it's, it's, uh, it's bigger than that even. And part of this huge platform, which we've talked a little bit about before, we'll talk about it again, I'm sure, um, is this emergency platform. And basically what the emergency platform is, is it's a formal proposal from the United Nations uh, asking member states to give to the United Nations the ability to take huge uh, amounts of control, power, authority in the midst of what it calls a global shock. And it defines global shock in the broadest way possible. Um, and we can get into that a little bit more in a minute. But it, it defines global shock in the broadest way possible. And uh, essentially what would happen is in the event of a global shock, like let's say another COVID-19 type pandemic or a whole bunch of other crazy things, which are not even as serious as that, uh, the United Nations would automatically, they wouldn't have to ask for it. They would automatically get the authority to start managing through public-private partnerships the economy, uh, society, uh, the kinds of goods and services that can be taking over the supply chain in certain instances and things like that. Um, they're very vague about what they would be able to do on purpose, but the things, the quotes here are, are incredible. I mean, essentially what they say is that um, they're going to make they, they want the power to make all the participating actors in the crisis, which include public and private actors, the have them uh, make commitments and then have them. The United Nations has the ability to ensure that they are actually doing those commitments. So it's not just enough to say, well, you know, I'm going to this is my how I'm going to help you know, fight the COVID-19 pandemic. No, the United Nations gets to come in and tell you how you're going to do it or work with you in a stakeholder relationship. And then if you don't actually do what you said you were going to do, then they can somehow hold you to account. The United Nations, okay? And so, uh, and and the crazy thing is, one of the crazy things about this is that it it says very specifically that the time period for all of this is... Initially, they will set the emergency for a finite period, okay? So they'll say, all right, emergency platform time, and it's uh, for 12 months. But after the 12 months is over, the Secretary General, the head of the United Nations, can unilaterally, as one person, come in and say, eh, you know what, I think we need another six more months, and can decide on his own. He's supposed to consult other people, but he doesn't have to listen to what they tell him. He can, on his own, just come in and say, six more months, emergency platform continues, and on and on we go. I mean, it is it is truly yeah. a proposal right. for, 
like an emperor-like takeover of, of the Western world. Like that's essentially what it is. It's yeah, amazing. It, if you go through the common agenda, the things that they want to like the policy type stuff that they want to have like agreement amongst all the member states ranges as broadly as you could possibly range it all the way from interacting on, on the internet and having like a common code of conduct for the internet all the way through, you know, like pandemic related stuff, as Justin was saying, Andy, pull that article back up that federalist article, because under the section um, that says like, it gets worse. Oh yeah. Just right, right there, right there. Stop right there. It talks about the kinds of global shocks that could trigger an emergency platform so they give you thankfully they give us a couple of uh, examples so we don't have to use our imagination too much here but it says major climactic event so jim i don't know what that one is hurricane or something like that i don't know how it'd be global necessarily future pandemic risks obviously you know have another have covid 20 or something like that comes out a global digital connectivity disruption. So worldwide internet goes out. Boom. UN is there to pick up the pieces. Major events in outer space. <laughs> Again, that one, I guess, is left a little bit more to the imagination. I'm thinking aliens. Uh, or, as Justin puts it, his personal favorite, unforeseen risks like a black swan event. So, uh, Jim, I mean, when you see these organizations kind of laying out, oh, yeah, all these things, this is what would trigger us, you know, grabbing hold of the emergency powers. Uh, what's your reaction to that? My reaction is, could could you think of a worse time to bring something like a plan like this forward? I mean, right after uh, all the lockdowns and economic destruction and the freedom destruction that was going on, even in the United States. I mean, it just triggers me. <laughs> you know, it makes me think of, um, you know, the, the, what we used to think of as our free neighbors to the north in Canada, um, locking down the bank accounts of people who were just protesting very peacefully against COVID lockdowns and the, and the destruction of their society and, and all of their freedoms. And they say, no, this is not, um, and, and, and he got away with it. I mean, Justin Trudeau got away with that. And to, of all the times to bring this up, you know, you might want to bring it up when there was a time of you know, relative peace and prosperity when there was, uh, you know, not people kind of sensitive to this sort of power grab. You might bring it up if your exercise of power actually saved lives and stopped people from being infected by a global pandemic. If you're, if you're seize of if your seizing of power actually got to the bottom of how and where that, that virus came from and why, instead of us being lied to and gaslit for three straight years, and now, now is the time you come forward with your, um, with your kind-hearted plan to take care of us, oh, us, us scared little children of the world um, in case something bad happens, like something that we won't even describe, maybe some, some other kind of calamity or something in outer space or the idea that the internet goes down and now we have to take all your freedoms away to protect you from each other. This is so scary. And actually, Justin, you deserve so much credit for bringing this forward because I've seen this story being picked up, but it was after your story got in there. Yours, you and the Federalist, Federalist is very well-read um, publication. You were in the Federalist a lot. You're at Fox News a lot. You're in a lot of big publications. And it seems like when you've put a spotlight on something, everybody else seems to pay attention. And I'm glad they're paying attention to this because every single time, you know, it, it would be nice if the UN would for once it'll never happen because this is not in their dna this is not their purpose of their of their organization but to even make fake friendly noises respecting the individual the individual autonomy and freedom of people around the world but it's never about that it's always about controlling your life the idea that like a like a, a climactic event or a, like a hurricane or something like that shut everything down nobody can do anything unless we give you permission to do things the United Nations would like nothing more than to have a global permission-only society where people don't really do anything unless they get clearance from whatever government is controlling them at that time, and in their eyes, a global governance, that you're not allowed to have your own car, you're not allowed to, to do all sorts of other things unless the, the government gives you permission. They want that society because the people who will have permission to actually live a decent life are them. And the elites and the people who are controlling you, they get to live the way they want, and you will not. You will not be able to, to live in freedom. You will not be able to have your own car very soon, I really believe, 
in the United States because, uh, oh, they won't mandate it. They'll just make it so expensive that you can't have personal transportation anymore. These are all the little things moving toward their goal. But the audacity tells you something. The audacity of coming out publicly with a plan like this tells you something very important. They don't fear you. They don't fear being exposed. You know, they, they may kind of be a little nervous, but like we've talked about it, that we talked about, in, and, and Justin wrote a book with Glenn Beck about the Great Reset, and suddenly they just don't want to use that term anymore. But some of them are. People still know it's, you know, still know what's going on, but they actually don't care. They don't care that people know this stuff because they believe, and, and I have not seen a lot of evidence to the contrary, that it's all going to work out anyway, that they're going to be able well, to impose these plans no matter how many people know about it because they have all the power. Well, at least they at least they called it our common agenda and not like our, <laughs> our sinister scheme to take over or something like that, which was essentially what the Great Reset was. Um, uh, I, I want to open up, uh, allow you know Justin to respond to anything Jim said, but I can't let this comment go unrecognized. This is from Cody Games saying, "A man chooses, a slave obeys," which is a reference to one of the best video games of all time, Bioshock. So I just want to point that out there, just to know that pff, we know we're on the same wavelength, Cody Games. But uh, <laughs> Justin, there are different facets of this that uh, I also want to bring up. One being the summit of the future, which is kind of the culminating event of all of this. This is supposedly going to be taking place in September of 2024. Is that correct? Right. So um, the the plan, <laughs> the, 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 kind of to go to Jim's point, they literally have on the Our Common Agenda website for the United Nations a detailed timeline of events of when all these things have happened and will happen in the our common agenda you know universe and on their they call it a roadmap to our common agenda they say that this sort of culminating event when all of the final details go into place and it actually becomes law occurs they tell us the exact time of when this is going to happen that's how confident they are the 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 uh the final sort of agreement is called a pact for the future they've already titled it that's what it's called pact for the future it's going to be held in september of 2024 at a an event a un i believe general assembly event called uh summit of the future or summit for, I think it's summit of the future, um, which I think is going to be held in New York. I think they've even got that nailed down of where it's going to be. It's going to be in New York. And at the, at, according to the United Nations own website at that event, the member States are going to get together and they're going to sign the pack for the future. And exactly the, 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 just like the Paris climate accords or one of those things, except much more sweeping than that. Now, what the details of it are, that's what they're working on right now. They're formally trying to get the details hammered out of what it looks like exactly. But um, if you're watching on, uh, if you're watching the video version of this, uh, Andy is going to eventually get down to the, there it is that, that picture right there. That's the, that's actually the timeline of events. Started in 2015, ends in 2024. This has been the plan for, for a while. Um, so it's not a conspiracy theory. It's published on their own website. They've even got the dates and everything all lined up for you. Right. And and then um, some of the, the incredible things. I mean, when you actually start reading the text of what they're saying in the formal documents, it shows you just how authoritarian and crazy all of this stuff is. Um, so for example, it says here, this is in the formal emergency platform proposal from the United Nations. This is endorsed by the secretary general. This isn't some vague thing. This is the official thing from the United Nations. It says as part of this emergency platform, any response mechanism to a global shock it's referring to must ensure, must ensure that participating actors that earlier in this is defined as public or private sector people make clear commitments that directly and immediately support the global response to a complex shock. This may, for example, include a commitment of financial or technical resources, a commitment to advocate with key actors and, or a commitment to a significant policy shift that would have a meaningful impact on the response. 
Participants would need to accept accountability for delivering on these commitments. This is the formal proposal. Basically, we get to do whatever we want. Now, who gets to develop? Who gets to, who, who's, who's involved? Because, of course, this is like the Great Reset. This is a multi-stakeholder you know, effort. This isn't just the United Nations just on its own. You know, it's going to be inclusive. So under the category of inclusive and multi-stakeholder, it says an emergency platform would be inclusive and allow for the participation of all relevant actors, not all actors, just the relevant ones, with an ability to contribute meaningfully to the global response. This should include relevant actors from all parts of the world, including the private sector, civil society, subject matter experts, academics, and others. Now, that sounds like that's going to be pretty inclusive, doesn't it? Everybody's going to be involved if you're relevant. Well, who's relevant? Well, it tells us who's relevant. Anyone who the secretary general decides is relevant. It says the secretary general would be responsible for identifying such relevant actors and for overseeing their contribution to the response. This is literally a formal proposal to create Emperor Palpatine. Like, that's what this is. <laughs> it's incredible. It is incredible. Right down to how long it lasts. Uh, that's decided by the Secretary General. The participating actors, that's decided by the Secretary General. Their commitments that they have to uphold, that's decided by the Secretary General. Holding them to account if they don't actually fulfill the commitments, that's decided by the Secretary General. This is the yeah. Secretary General, in case you didn't know, is one person. <laughs> like, this yeah. is incredible. You, you know, if you look at like the edit notes, if you click on the edit notes, uh, there's a part that's scratched out where it talks about in an effort to create the first galactic empire but they crossed that out they thought that was too on the nose so that, yeah. that got left on the editing room floor i think they may have actually taken palpatine's speech from from star wars and then just tweaked it a little bit you just play with it and you get to the our common they're like, agenda they're like yeah. secretary search, general search and, replace, search and replace emperor with secretary general that's pretty yeah. much all it is. Yeah. secretary general what did you mean by you know your altercation with the jedi left you scarred i, I don't i don't get that part <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah okay so then uh, well jim you know do you have any comments on that because there's another section that justin talks about with biden's support that i want to get to but well, i want to no, open I, the door I'm, if you I'm, have any further comments I would just say, I, I'm just struck by the, the kind of language that I'm sure you recognize, Justin, that's supposed to, you know, assuage people's fears that the emperor is rising <laughs> and that the republic is dying. Um, you know, this this common agenda. It's like, who consented to this common agenda? What is this common agenda? Who voted on this? You know, we, we are talking about this in the same week that we just had Independence Day here in the United States. And, you know, it was to throw off the emperor. It was to throw off an empire and to create a, a create a, a country and a society based in liberty and respecting the individual to live his or her life without with as little government interference as possible, not just because that's morally right, but it also encourages, as it was doing in the colonies at the time, economic growth and you know more happiness for everybody. It's in the Declaration of Independence itself, the pursuit of happiness. And the UN is not interested in your happiness. It's not interested in, in pursuing anybody pursuing their own individual happiness. It is, as the as the terminology in that document says, the common agenda. You know, and so it's nobody votes on this. Nobody gets any input. Nobody, have, no, we don't. You know, regular plebes don't get any input on the common agenda. The common agenda is the agenda that the global elites all agree upon, and that common agenda always involves more power for themselves, less freedom and liberty for you. Yeah, you know, you know who I when I would really start to get nervous is if that if there started to be a campaign to get like Hillary Clinton to be uh, nominated as the UN, you know that that position for that. It's just like, uh oh, now I'm worried. But uh, so far, that's not the case. But uh, so, Justin, the last part of the article was talking about Biden's support. So I think a lot of people, you know, when they hear the UN or something like that, they have this kind of this old mindset that's like oh the un they just do a lot of talk and they can't actually get anything done and they just kind of whatever get rid of it but when you have the president of the united states the the president the administration of the united states in support of the proposal uh, it gets a little bit more worrisome can you explain this aspect of the article yeah so what's really 
remarkable about this. And it's really the part of the story that I just can't believe that this hasn't caught on in a lot of ways is um, that formally the United States government has said that they endorse the emergency platform specifically, not, not just a, well, generally we like the, you know, uh, our common agenda, you know, but because they have made some statements from um, ambassadors to the United Nations, U.S. ambassadors to the United Nations have made some statements like, we like our common agenda. There are some things in it that we don't necessarily agree with without telling us what those are, but we like our common agenda. And that kind of gives you an out, you know, so you could say, well, yeah, the emergency platform, we don't like that part. But in two different speeches by U.S. Ambassador Chris Liu, there were, uh, which is, he was part of the Biden administration. He was appointed by Joe Biden for this position. In two different speeches after this came out, he said, listed it as one of the things that they agree, that they like, that one of the things they like is the emergency platform. And there's a whole bunch of other crazy things that they like too, which is also really disturbing, but that's for another time. But that was, but, th but that they specifically named it. So I don't even have to imagine See, that's what's so incredible about this. And it reminds me so much of the Great Reset. When we first, when, when Donnie and I first started reading the detailed stuff in the Great Reset, it, the most amazing thing about it was how open everybody was about the plan and what the plan was and what they wanted to do. It was just, yeah, we're going to rewrite social contracts. Yeah, we're going to uh, uh, push the reset button on the global economy. We're going to make it all about equity. We're going to have public-private partnerships. We're going to be working with corporations to remake society. They were just openly saying these things. And in the same way that they did it with that, global elites are doing it here, where they're just openly saying, yeah, emergency platform? Oh, yeah. Well, Secretary General, we're going to give him all this power, and he can just decide when these global shocks end, what a global shock is exactly, who is the who are the relevant actors that make decisions who what those commitments are holding them to account when they're not fulfilling those commitments and then Joe Biden comes along and says yeah that sounds pretty good let's give that guy all the power it's like how how much more open they could at least do it behind closed doors where we don't ever find out about it they're publishing it on their websites all you have to do is google it and you can find this stuff okay so that part of it is the most incredible part of it all the person who's supposed to I know Europe is full of a bunch of people that want a global government and, and tyranny and all that. I know there's a lot of people that don't want it, but I also know there's a lot of people in Europe that do. That's the history of Europe. That's fine. I don't care. I don't live in Europe, but I don't expect <laughs> the United States of America. I don't expect the president of the United States to be in favor of this. Right. I don't expect that. He's the person who is supposed to say, screw you. I'm yeah. not doing that. Well, we're, not do we're not going anywhere near this. And instead he's saying, yeah, that's pretty good. Let's add that to the list of things that we like. Yeah, I'm pretty Incredible. sure last time we talked about any of this, uh, we also made a comment or a, a point to note that the date of this summit of the future, you know, the, the culmination of all of this just happens to be right at the end of 2024, like yeah. right before the election for the next president or anything like that, for the possibility that there is somebody with an R in front of their name that says, yeah, screw you, UN. That's like, right. Nope, that's not even a possibility. Like, yeah. we've got Biden for this that, all the way through the end of this process. Great, so. I'm really glad you brought that up. End of September 2024. They have the specific dates. I want to say it's like September 24th or something is when this will happen, which is basically what like six weeks from the presidential election right and just and, and at a perfect time when no one is going to be paying attention to any of this we're going to be focused on election ads and some scandal that drops at the last minute and october surprises and all that that's what we're going to be focused on we're not going to be thinking about this and there's going to be some kind of crazy agreement that comes down right before we potentially elect a new president it's it is so it is so transparent what is going on here and so terrifying. Uh, I really hope that people start to pick up on this and run with it and and point out how bad this is because as bad as the Great Reset was, every part of the Great Reset is in this. And a bunch of other things that were not in the Great Reset are also in this. This is the Great Reset plus a bunch of other things. And that's what's so incredible. So if people cared about that, I really hope that they will care 
even more about this over the long run. This reminds reminds me of something I brought up on this podcast a lot, and that's that um, the the election of Donald Trump in 2016 made the globalists absolutely panic. That's a real global shock. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they expected to be able to to boil us frogs slowly by just turning up the gas. Well, not gas. It'd be electric now. Uh, Turning up the heat uh, a little bit more. Yeah, I should have. I'm the one in control of the sound effects. I should hit the rim shot. (laughs) But there it is. Thank you very much. So the... um, you know, the election of Donald Trump, I mean, as Justin, as you were as you were talking about all of that, I was thinking, God, it wasn't even that long ago that Donald Trump was saying out loud in front of world leaders, hey, you you bums, it's, it's time for you to pay what you promised to pay, which is just a lousy 2% of your GDP for your own defense. We're tired of picking up the tab for the last 60 years. How about you just go up to 2% and actually uh, help fund some of your own defense? It was a global scandal that he actually said what the what the NATO charter actually requires of these European countries. And so, you know, that stopped all of this, a lot of this stuff in its tracks. And so if you feel like everything and I feel this way, that everything is happening so fast. I mean, a great strategy of somebody who's a revolutionary or wants to disrupt the system is to flood the zone, throw so much at people that they can't even comprehend the ones who are listening can hardly even keep up and comprehend with what's going on. And and we're, we're what we're seeing right now is the flooding of the zone by organizations like the World Economic Forum and the United Nations so that it's it's all happening so fast these countries are coming to agreements. Are they really agreements? Are they binding in any way? You know, it, it like you said Justin, Joe Biden should be defending the United States and our sovereignty and our liberty against these kinds of encroachments. But instead, just like with with uh, supposedly the Paris climate agreement is binding. Well, Donald Trump said it ain't. I'm out, <laughs> you know, and and the actual rules are that it wasn't. And so what we're going to find is that, yes, uh, as you mentioned there, um, very soon we're going to we're going to be able to make a decision here in the United States about whether or not this country continues going along with all of this globalism, which is what the Obama agenda always was about. And they expected Hillary Clinton to just continue for her. And now we're on we're on fast forward because they're behind schedule. A lot of this stuff was supposed to have already happened by now. So now it's all happening very fast. Yep, absolutely wild stuff. And guess what? This stuff would be happening if we weren't talking about it. You just wouldn't know about it. <laughs> so that's uh, that is why, like I said at the at the front end of this, that uh, you know when it comes to like us picking the topics, it's the ones that we think are important that are being ignored, or the angles that uh, of a story that is being covered that are being ignored. So that's uh, you know I think we're right on target with that with this episode. Hopefully we didn't scare off too many people. And hopefully we had enough of a jovial tune to not uh, seemingly overwhelm the pessimistic side of things. Justin, we did have a secondary topic, uh, an issue that you and I have talked about offline a handful of times, but we're already getting close to the hour mark. Yeah, I kind of think it'll be a step down in terms of in terms of like the grab. Forget it, Donnie, you're out of your element. So maybe we'll just leave it at that, save it for next time or something. Yeah. It is pretty important, but, uh, you know, when it's comparing to the global takeover by the UN and global shocks and all of that uses justification, this seems like a step down. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, I do want to really quickly, Andy, if you have it handy, we did it in a super chat uh, at the midway point of the episode from Christine. Thank you, Christine. She says the show is great just the way it is, keeping us aware of what's going on and making us laugh at the same time. I know most of those laughs come from looking at Justin, so I want to thank Justin for being on with us. And uh... <laughs> that's no, 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 no. Only one of us looks like they belong in the Taliban, my friend. Cheap, cheap Only shots. one of us, cheap and shots. it ain't me. That's right. <laughs> All right, everyone. Uh, well, I guess final words, gentlemen. Anything that you want to say before we end the show? Anything to get off your chest? hearing nothing i want to say thank you for everyone tuning in to this episode of in the tank podcast join us every week for a new episode for those audio only listeners that are catching us on a friday first leave a review for us on itunes it'd be greatly appreciated but you could also join us a day earlier at thursdays at noon central time where we are streaming live on facebook and rumble and twitter and youtube where you can join the conversation throw your comments and questions in the chat maybe we'll show your comments on the screen maybe we will address your questions on the fly 
Also, you could help us out by hitting that like button, subscribing, sharing this content, or just leaving a comment under the video. All these things help break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from being shown to more people. Also, if you'd like, you can follow us on Twitter at In the Tank Pod, or you can send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for the show by emailing us at In the Tank Podcast at gmail.com. Jim Lakely, where can the fine people find you? At Jay Lakely on Twitter, at Heartland Inst on Twitter, and always visit heartland.org. Fantastic. Justin Haskins, same question. Uh, they can find me at Justin T. Haskins on uh, Facebook and Twitter and Getter and a whole bunch of other places. Also, uh, check out the Justin Haskins YouTube channel. I've got some videos up there. I go into really, uh, I take a, a huge deep dive into our common agenda on there. I've got three videos on the